Hi everyone, my name is Derek Shu. Welcome to the inaugural episode of I Pledge Allegiance, a podcast where we explore the most interesting proposals, events, and discussions in governance. This week, we're chatting with Nick Cannon from Gauntlet and Getty Hill from GFX. We cover the recent risk monitoring proposal Gauntlet put up with Compound, why this is a crucial part of DeFi, and the nuances of creating products for DAOs. Nick, please introduce yourself and how you're involved with Compound. Hi, thanks. Uh, my name is Nick Cannon, and I lead growth at Gauntlet. Uh, Gauntlet is a simulation platform for risk parameterization uh, and financial modeling for protocols and DAOs. Uh, Gauntlet, as, as a company, um, has been involved in the Compound community and the Compound protocol for almost two years now, uh, initially kicking it off with doing a market risk assessment for Compound, which we published uh, last year, and then following up with various proposals in and around treasury management, parameter changes, and, and things of that sort to try to improve and upgrade the protocol um, as, it, as it has evolved over that time. Getty, go for it. Hi, I'm Getty Hill, the longtime contributor with uh, Compound, and um, one of the few people on the contributor grants uh, right now on the protocol and a part of the grants program and at GFX Labs. Um, looking forward to talking about Gauntlet's proposal here today. So I guess before we talk about the proposal specifically, I think it'd, it'd be helpful to, to get a sense of why you guys got into Compound and how you guys have contributed so far. This is a question for both, both of you. Absolutely. Uh, from the Gauntlet side of things, I can speak to it. Uh, Tarun and Ray, our co-founders, come from hyper-concentrating in simulation specifically. Um, they have done you know, various simulations in you know, what is known as the tripod world to us crypto natives, um, and, and have thought about this considerably um, in, in other contexts, and, and founded Gauntlet primarily to extend you know, that knowledge base to what is a much more interesting and, and growing sector in, in crypto, understanding there's composability and other risk factors uh, that need to be considered uh, for protocols like Compound and um, others. And, and that's sort of where we started. Compound was actually, you know, one of the first protocols we touched on and, and a great community and testing ground for us to, to try to extend those models and the, the knowledge base that our founders had built up uh, sort of in their, their past lives uh, to the protocol itself. I got into Compound um, kind of back when it launched and I thought it was really, this like really novel idea of borrowing and lending tokens without having a middleman, without having to ask anyone's permission. You can just do it at the click of a button. If you want to borrow some USDC for a single instant, um, you don't pay a premium versus if you're going to do it over a whole year. And that concept to me just made so much sense. Didn't understand why it already existed. Um, and that's what's kept me around since. Awesome. And before we get into the proposal, um, I think it'd also be helpful to, to hear about how you guys think about risk within DeFi and for lending and lending and borrowing protocols like Compound specifically. Why is risk management and monitoring important? How does it affect the average end user for Compound? Starting with uh, Getty. So at the end of the day, Compound, because its whole, its whole um, business is collateral factors essentially in, in, in cross-asset risk management, um, this concept of risk is extremely important. And it's really at the end of the day, once these protocols, Compound, Aave, MakerDAO, and the many others that are beginning to pop up, like in Cream and whatnot, it just becomes a game of risk management um, to make sure that you can provide the most capital efficiency, um, capital efficient platform possible, um, while also ensuring that it won't explode. Um, so there's this, there's this delicate balance here that everyone I think is, you know, we've only had a couple of years to experience, um, it with, and only so many volatile market drops so far, we're still in the very much of the early days. So it's, there's, there's a lot of work to become, um, to make these platforms more efficient, um, uh, specifically more capital efficient. And in terms of like existing status quo for risk management, risk monitoring, Nick, like this is something you guys have been involved with for, for various protocols uh, up till now. How has the sort of risk process been done up till now before this before this proposal? A bit haphazardly, uh, to be blunt. Uh, you know, some of the protocols we've engaged with, Compound being one of them, uh, you know, as they tried to get to market and figure out how market risk specifically uh, should be framed and, and thought about. 
uh, ask us ask us to do simulations and stress test the protocol under various you know high volatility conditions, uh, flash crashes, and things like that. And what we found is while this is helpful to get to market um, and you know get an initial set of risk parameters um, for for these early collateral assets and you know possibly the ones that are onboarded later, uh, it doesn't exactly extend to what we all know to be quite a dynamic market, um, not just you know in the protocol itself and the price changes that we see daily, uh, but also in the development of on the infrastructure side. Right, there's layer twos being developed, bridges to other blockchains, and how all of these assets um, and their liquidity interact with each other and their and their agents, I should say, um, is extremely important into the considerations for market risk. Recognizing that this current state of affairs for, for risk management isn't probably ideal and that there should be more sophisticated processes and norms around how it should be done. Um, Nick, can you talk about the proposal that you guys recently put up? Yeah, so most recently we put up a proposal for dynamic risk parameters, more or less meaning the risk parameters outlined by the protocol, um, which varies, I should I should mention, from Compound to even other lending protocols. It's something Gauntlet wants to support and simulate on an ongoing basis. Uh, we run these simulations off-chain where we've modeled um, and integrated the Compound contracts and a, a replicated EVM into our simulation SDK. And then we run those daily simulations, uh, ingesting updated market conditions, data feeds, prices, volatility, slippage, uh, things like that, both from centralized and decentralized exchanges. And then the output of those on, on uh, the daily occurrence, we monitor and observe, and should they fall outside of a band of tolerance that the community has specified for their risk preference, uh, we might push a proposal uh, on chain or and this is a process of kicking off a discussion generally in the forum, um, making sure we have community feedback and consensus, and then trying to move to an on-chain governance proposal where we'll design the payload, uh, help the community understand and clarify you know, the need for this, and then uh, you know, ideally execute it. How does Gauntlet think about its role in terms of setting risk preferences for a protocol, such as allowing certain types of assets or certain collateral levels versus simply monitoring these and alerting the community to the latest status. We definitely try to separate ourselves from our opinions and the data scientists that are modeling opinions and try to be as objective as possible, uh, given you know the risk appetite where we would like to engage with uh, should this proposal pass. So we would gauge the community and try to give them possibly three digestible you know buckets of aggressive, moderate, conservative risk appetites, um, which is a conflation of factors in and around like value at risk, and, and then watch that track over time. Um, the borrowers and users and just general community members of the Compound Protocol right now might not and very very likely won't be uh, the same over you know the course of numerous years. Say, for example, uh, institutional capital comes in and they have a different risk tolerance or preference. Um, that might need to be changed and using a vendor like Gauntlet uh, to be able to inform those decisions for risk parameters um, is something we hopefully can be able to provide. So in terms of the simulations that, that you're talking about, how did you guys, you talked a little bit about how they're constructed and the types of, of models that, that you're running, but how did you guys create them? Is it something closed source? Will you guys show it? show people sort of the methodology behind it and if not like what's the thinking around that the thinking especially as it starts to evolve is you know we're remaining close source or you know keeping those models proprietary um as we you know make them more robust and are more confident in their outputs obviously um there's still uh, a lot of humans in the loop uh, which is definitely a good thing for the protocol given how much money is at stake uh, we want to make sure any you know risk parameter we suggest um, has not only had you know computer and simulation eyes on it, but uh, various human eyes from the data scientists, sort of in the day to day, all the way up to the, our CTO. Um, how this evolves over time um, is something we're open to discussing with sort of all communities and DAOs we interact with. We try to, um, as best we can, clarify our model inputs, um, where our data comes from, uh, the the main factors that go into uh, you know. Uh, the various models that coalesce into the output of risk parameters. Um, as, as mentioned, you know, these are volatility and slippage models. There's now 
a lot more, um, you know, underneath the hood, we've started to be a bit more robust and have to think about a bit more, more recently is the transaction delay models, uh, given the various bridges and, and layer twos that need to be taken in consideration for the liquidators and their behavior. And this is, you know, started to change or, and will continue to change, um, you know, for things outside of even lending protocols, for example, the transition from Uniswap V2 to V3 and how much liquidity moved there was extremely important in considerations and, and modeling for us. Got it. Getty, as a, as a user and a active participant in compounds, you've recently voiced your support for this proposal. Um, what are your thoughts on it? And, and, and can you please talk about why you're in favor of it? Yeah, I think you know there's there's a huge need here for um, the gauntlets of the world to step up and start providing risk analysis to the protocol, um, helping the community manage some of these more technical factors that um, just regular contributors like myself don't necessarily have the time or the resources to. I, I I don't have the the twenty person team and budget and expertise like Gauntlet does to produce some meaningful um, data that can help us manage the risk of the protocol. So I think, you know, at, at that baseline, we're really looking for, and just in general, um, people to start stepping up and, and do these roles. And I think there is, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of money that the protocol is willing to pay for that. I mean, in, in far as um, the current proposal that's up uh, from Gauntlet, um, you know, compound prices in the market have been volatile lately, but I think it's somewhere around like five, six million dollars uh, a year. So we're not talking about a small amount of money here. You can definitely put together uh, a robust team and take home some money on that on that um, on that amount 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 of amount of money. Um, so that being said, I think my my voice of support thus far for this proposal has been. Let's do the first quarter. Let's see how a trial period goes. Let's see where Gauntlet steps up and what kind of data analysis um, interaction with the community they actually provide. Um, and then let's follow up after after the quarter's over and see see where we're at. See if we think um, that they did a good job, um, that they provided the things that they said they were going to provide. Um, and if the community wants to continue to pay them or, you know, explore a different process or a different, uh, a different person. Uh, my thought is, is that Gauntlet has done a good job up, up until this point um, and has demonstrated positive um, efforts for the protocol and value and has showed good intent across the ecosystem that they're probably a good person. So on that alone, it's worthwhile to just give them a shot. But that being said, like if a person I never heard of before put up the proposal that they put up, it would be shot down in an instant. Um, the proposal is riding on the fact that everyone knows Gauntlet's name and knows they do a good work. Um, and if it, if it weren't for that, then you know this would be dead on arrival because there's not a lot of substance to it. Getty, in terms of like when this is revisited in a quarter or or two quarters, what are the things that that you care most about? Is it about looking at Compound's overall growth? Is it looking at the community engagement and, and the dashboards? Like, like, what is most important to you? Yeah, so I think it's yet to be seen how they plan on, you know, I think a lot of these things get easier once once the money gets flowing and once everyone starts working one another, but it's yet to be seen like how, like what the dashboard's gonna look like, when the dashboard's gonna be coming, um, how useful the dashboard is going to be, um, how much information they're going to be willing to share with us. There's obviously some fine line here between, I don't think any of us expect them to share their secret sauce with them, like with us. Um, but at the same time, like we also need to understand to some degree that these numbers aren't being come up on the back of a, of, of a notepad um, somewhere. I, I imagine, I'm sure they're not, but you know, there, there's some spectrum here where we need some more information on um, how they're arriving at the numbers that they're arriving. Um, and then I think from there, it's, you know, how, how good of a job they're doing. Is the community feeling like um, that they're putting in the effort and producing valuable um, inputs, you know, that are, that are worth the amount of money that we're, we're paying them. Um, so I think, I think it's hard, you know, if, if, a, if a community member 
or you know some other group wanted to approach this and make their own proposal um, to do a similar task that they're completing, we would expect them to deliver their methodology, some of their prior work, their dashboard, and kind of show a lot more information than what Gauntlet's done thus far. And right now, I think largely everyone's like, all right, we're willing to take a shot on this because we know that they've done good work in the past, but it is, uh, you know, it's not very uh, in the spirit of perhaps decentralization, uh, decentralization that a lot of this is not transparent um, and that we are kind of taking a leap of faith here. Nick, any any thoughts on any, any of those things that I get he's talking about? Yeah, those are fair points. And I think we're, we're quite aligned on the gunplay side, right? We know our feet can and should be held to the fire um, should this proposal pass. Uh, we want to not only build these tools like the risk dashboard for the community to make, but make sure the information being passed off is as transparent as we feel comfortable making. Uh, in the world of building a decentralized risk desk or that or a risk desk that you know services DAOs, um, it's a bit tricky. And you know, t- to be perfectly blunt, we're finding our feet. Uh, we don't see Goldman um, extending their risk desk uh, to DAOs just yet either. But as we as we find that and uh, hopefully can clarify you know, our lines of communications, what we feel comfortable exposing and not, um, hopefully that'll be a bit clearer over time. But more than anything, we just want it to be clear that the impact we drive uh, for the for the price that you know, the protocol and the community pay us um, should be commensurate with sort of the value we add. And hopefully, you know, at the end of it, uh, sort of the internal goal is to the protocol and the community to think like, wow, Gauntlet is broadly cheap. No, I don't think that might ever happen uh, with, you know, a, a multi-million dollar price tag, but uh, that's sort of the, the, the stretch goal for us. Yeah, I think that's certainly possible. I mean, I, I'm... I'm totally game for paying a lot of money for services. Um, as long as everyone feels like we're getting a good value, then I, I, I have no problem. I think the only way we're going to get more gauntlets or just in general, like outside the, the spectrum of risk management, there's tons of other things the protocol needs to be doing. Um, and the only way we're going to get more people to come up and take a role in the protocol is by writing these checks. And when the protocol needs to demonstrate that we're willing to write large checks, we're willing to take a chance on people for a quarter or six months or something and try something out um, and see what happens and giving people the benefit of the doubt for the sake of growth and you know being competitive. Totally agreed, Getty. I think one of the major frustrations that, that I've had is the lack of um, sort of willingness for a lot of these DAOs and and protocol treasuries to really aggressively and actively spend money. If you think about it like a corporate balance sheet, that those assets should be leveraged to improve the core product, improve the core ecosystem. Right now, for the most part, like these protocol DAOs are funding pretty much just grants, which is super important as a tool to to, to onboard individual contributors, but we're talking a few hundred thousand a quarter, like two to three million a year, when there's much more impactful inter- and, and large scale programs that people want to do. So I think, yeah, this the general approach of let's be aggressive, check in after a quarter or two to, to evaluate progress and success, scale it up or down as needed is the, the the proper um, iteration, and of course, there might be some 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 cases where people are not happy and people think it was a mistake in hindsight. But I think this sort of of trial and error is an inevitable and and much needed thing. So I think, yeah, I, I think this is uh, excited to to revisit this in in a quarter or two. Getty, do you have any other specific questions about like the proposal or specific parameters? Nick, I think one of the interesting points you had brought up that actually wasn't on the forum yet was that right now you guys are running these simulations daily. Is there like a world in the not so distant future where these systems are just running constantly in that way and like in times of like shifting volatility in the market, your system can can like give an early warning, I suppose, or something to the equivalent of that of like, hey, like things might be about to hit the fan here, or is it is it is it not 
no. Is that too far out at this time for your guys' tech stack? Yeah, not just our tech stack. Uh, we use intraday data, and which is the most granular data we can get, um, especially from the centralized exchanges, which we know, all know is, as much as DeFi is growing, the majority of volume um, and, and how we track these prices and, and slippage and such uh, comes from centralized data. And, and that granularity is no more than intraday. Um, so that sort of affects how quickly we can iterate on our models. The second thing to note and something we've touched on previously and got this question from the balancer community where we dynamically adjust their trading fees for V2 pools is saying like, well, why, why doesn't Gauntlet, you know, adjust trading fees, you know, on hour or every 30 minutes or something like that when they see these, we notice these large spikes in price and arbitragers uh, come in to, you know, level level set the market and try to capture those fees for the LPs, which is sort of the objective function of our engagement. And Victor, our data scientist, wrote up a, a good post in their forum. Basically saying it's extremely tough to capture this, even if we got down to the hourly level um, for this arbitrage volume or you know, these um, more relative to lending protocols like Compound, um, something like the urgency of uh, you know, volatility being such that uh, various positions or insolvency risk is much higher for the protocol. So. At the end of the day, we're trying, going to try to get as granular as possible. There are still inherent risks with the infrastructure just more broadly outside of Gauntlet. And something we do want to extend um, or, or some, something we've designed internally is how we build out ETLs and how we ask for process, uh, you know, process, uh, sorry, data positions, uh, borrow and lend positions and various other positions from clients and DAOs. Uh, the, the graph and Ethereum ETL are, are good for that, and we hope these to be more open source, but we, we'd like to open source this framework for not just us, uh, but other tools, parties, Getty, yourself, uh, to, to use going forward, because we think more eyes on the protocol um, in various aspects, not just market risk and security risk and Oracle risk, uh, would be extremely helpful. Very cool. Um, the other thought I, I was... Yeah, and you had mentioned on the forum as well that you guys are using uh, Amber Data for your your um, centralized you know exchanges, and then just regular on chain data for all of your, your Dex trading. Are you guys uh, taking into account derivatives markets? Or are you focusing on like spot only liquidity? For the most part, it's spot at this time. Uh, we do. Very much so, as you're probably hinting, uh, expect derivative markets to not just, you know, to grow considerably more, especially with layer two. So um, something, you know, top of mind for us. Yeah, just, you know, most of the volume is done in derivatives these days. Um, you know, and from my time on the training desk at Grapefruit, derivatives is virtually all the volume that we, we did. Um, just because it's way more capital efficient for a desk to, to do that stuff. So I think making sure derivatives play component in the liquidity component uh, of of these products that are on compound is rather critical. You know, one thing maybe I can ask back at you, Getty, given you've sort of been the point for this Oracle integration, which is very likely going to see that, you know, the next level of growth for the compound protocol, as we've already seen with the number of assets brought on board. How are you thinking about these new assets um, that you know, you sort of had this initial match with Sushi and Avi and others. Uh, but how does how are you thinking about that? You know, three months, six months down the road. Yeah, um, it's a great question. I think because we you know because we didn't have the Oracle stuff sooner, um, the protocol began to kind of lag behind on assets getting added and and staying in the in the forefront of money markets. So right now, I think we're kind of still playing catch up in that. There is a lot of no-brainer markets that we need to add that are multi-billion dollar DeFi tokens that have been listed on DEXs already and in centralized exchanges and have sufficient liquidity. So I think from our point, like we just got to list, we got to get up there and start listing all those, making sure we're back at the front of the pack. Um, and then from there, I think Compound is supposed to be one of the more risk-averse protocols in my mind. Um, so we do want to be somewhat conservative as to the assets that we list. I don't think we'll ever be, um, as pro risk as Aave is and certainly not cream. Um, in my mind, both the protocols are taking kind of some unnecessary risks over there, at least not appropriately risk adjusted. Um, so I think while we do want to list a lot of things and we certainly have a lot of things coming, uh, in the future, 
like we're never going to be the craziest and the most forward protocol that there is just because we're planning on being around for a very long time and we want to make certain that we uh you know we survive the volatile times that are inevitably coming in this near future getty do you have any more thoughts on how cream and ave are sort of different from compound in their general approach towards risk whether it's collateral levels assets um or or other things sure yeah i think you know cream in particular is an easy one it, it is or was originally at least just a compound clone uh, that actually kind of got like the compound labs team of like stamp of like okay this is fine they're you're not super competitive in the sense that they're listing um, a lot of tokens that we certainly would not be comfortable listing. Um, they have, I think, by far, like the largest offering of tokens of any money market. Um, and so far, I haven't seen too many um, problems because of it. So thus far, I suppose they've done a good job managing the risk, but there are certainly times in that project's history so far, uh, although it's short that things were um, very concerning. I've used the platform myself only in, in small small ways, nothing like Avi or Compound, um, but it, they're certainly an interesting experiment to look at. And then as far as Avi goes, I mean, Avi isn't all that much different from Compound, but they're definitely willing to swallow some more risk than I think the, than, than the Compound community is. I think we're, we're very concerned about mintability, multi-sig, um, control and risk um, and some of these more complicated products and how they're managed. So I think when it, when it comes to those details, we're more conservative, but you know, the time will tell as to which protocol is able to outlast the other one in times of volatility. And, and Nick actually mentioned earlier that setting risk preference levels and making these types of decisions is out of the scope of of gauntlet and this proposal um nick like you guys have also done stuff with ave for risk monitoring and management as well how does how do you think about sort of your role working for various ecosystems that are in many ways directly competitive with each other yeah, it's very, I mean, very interesting. You know, we experience this not just in, you know, lending protocols, but decentralized exchange protocols as well. Uh, and that's the main reason we want to, you know, distance ourselves from any subjective opinion making, right? The risk preference of communities uh, should, you know, take weight. Uh, all stakeholders should know what they're, know what they're getting into and, and what they're taking on for the protocol as far as risk parameterization. And Gauntlet is just primarily that tool uh, to help digest the, you know, very much black box uh, of market risk and, and, you know, help people track that over time. What we found, um, you know, as as many people might know, is we have a, an open engagement for a quite similar proposal for dynamic risk parameters with Aave. Uh, and what, you know, Gabby alluded to, it's very likely that different risk preferences will will show should this proposal pass, and we you know give the sort of the same risk level uh, options to the or sorry to the compound community. I think this is fine. Uh, we see this in our simulations between borrower positions uh, from compound to Ave that we model that the core user of Ave is much different than the core user of compound, and and I think that's perfectly fine. Should have a, everyone should have a, a product preference uh, sorted to their liking. So, does this mean that if Gauntlet runs a simulation with both Compound and Ave, and like the results are similar, if Ave's risk tolerance is is higher, then that might be, I don't know if it's like a letter grade or, or a color, but like for Ave, it might be like an A minus grade. Whereas for, for Compound, if, if Compound's more conservative about it, it might be like, this is a, a C, this, this is an unacceptable level of, of risk. Yeah, that's right. And this is something Robert brought up uh, in an initial discussion in the community call is that maybe, maybe Compound should be taking on more insolvency risk and understanding, you know, being slightly underwater given you know, Black Thursday-like events is okay um, given you know, the ability to back those up or, or depends on what those positions should be. Um, 
this is probably just something, a conversation that hasn't been had more broadly because the tools to do so haven't been there. Uh, a big reason that we've sort of initiated this push and did have done a lot of user research on the product side for what users want to see uh, in a dashboard so they can understand and make these decisions where in, an, in a more you know easy and, and readable fashion. Getty, you've been running the Compound community calls every month. Um, have you guys been discussing the like how how people should think about risk tolerance? How do you think that this decision should be done, and 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 where would you like to see, like personally, risk go? Should there be more assets listed? Should there be more aggressive collateral factors? How do you think about it? So we definitely talked about it a fair amount. I think a lot of discussion has revolved around new markets that users want to use, um, just because there's are there are quite a few markets that are billion dollar protocols that the protocol doesn't have listed yet. So I think a lot of people have been mentioning um, the likes of those and wanting to get those listed as soon as possible. So we stay at the, you know, the forward pack and people want to be able to use those as collateral so they can support their positions, borrow against them, et cetera. Uh, but as far as like risk goes specifically um, and where I think that's going, I take I think I take like a longer um, view on things than most users because I'm just such a believer in Compound and and what the protocol is trying to do in the future. That in my mind, my goal is to list um, as many as markets as that we can safely and I mean like safely add um, over the next several months, such that by time Gateway rolls around, which is essentially like Compound V three, um, the protocol already has. A very good jumping point to shift a robust list of assets over onto gateway and then begin the risk process over there because there's going to be a pretty big change in how we assess risk in the protocol how risk is managed and then ultimately how capital efficient it is for users to um, utilize the protocol and it's going to be meaningfully different that in my mind Right now, let's focus on getting assets onboarded. Let's focus on making sure that the infrastructure that we have right now is safe so we can get to V3 safely. And then once V3 is live, let's shift all the focus over into understanding these new risk tools that we're going to have and building you know, the most capital efficient D5 protocol that there is. Um, yeah. Nick, any thoughts on any of what Getty said or on Gateway specifically and how that might affect the risk program. I know Compound has stayed, Compound Labs has stayed pretty, pretty under the radar in terms of like progress and launch. But curious if you have any, any, any thoughts that that you can share. Yeah, I mean, I think Gateway is a perfect example. And while a lot of it is still definitely under wraps, uh, it shows where a lot of the focus might be leaning for Compound Labs and you know, community me- or community members like Getty and, and other you know thinking about. So if Gauntlet can be helpful you know, helping risk parameterize and, and focus on market risk for the core protocol, which still has you know, tens of billions of dollars in it. And and those next growth vectors um, can be built out by other community members, because as we all know, there's tons of work to do um, and, and not enough bodies or qualified members of the community to do so. That's sort of how we see our position. So Nick, I'm very excited to see this proposal, see some of the deliverables that you guys um, are working on when you guys think you'll actually have a compound dashboard or I guess the new dashboard live for the community to be looking at. I don't want to box product or, or dev in too much, but uh, for reference point, our Ave proposal passed August 12th and by end of week, we'll have a, a live dashboard V1 um, out in the market. So what, about 45 days or so. Nick, one of the new stats that you guys have been mentioning a lot um, and has, I think, one of been like one of the core things for the new simulations is this value at risk VAR um, stat. And, uh, and it's not really mentioned too much in the current reports that you guys have you know, processed, although most of them are data at this point. Can you explain a bit more to everyone about what VAR is and perhaps where they can learn some more about um, what this what this new uh, stat is? Yeah. Uh, and. And thanks for your comment in the forum. I, I think we've realized that 
while some of the TradFide folks and traders uh, on our team sort of intuit this uh, a bit, we should we need to break this down a bit more. Not not only in the you know the forthcoming dashboard, hopefully, uh, but probably in you know longer uh, blog posts and things of that nature. But VARs at at a high level trying to be a distillation of value at risk on the asset level and then the system wide level, which is probably going to be rolled up of a completion of liquidation loss and insolvency metrics that we can quantify as some percentage of the user's capital to make it easier to compare like the upside as in the yield um, and then as well as scale for tail market events. Longer post forthcoming uh, with data scientists breaking that down. Um, hopefully, you know, the biggest thing and you know what we found in other communities while we tried to expose these risk appetites and, and levels and try to get the community preference is it is it's a bit tough um, without a dashboard and without uh, you know a longer form post in and around what all goes into that that distillation. So that's a good call out. Uh, something I wish I had more resources sort of on the the communication uh, content side of things. Uh, but as we as we do that, uh, hopefully you know, we have some hires coming on board to, to facilitate those uh, that messaging um, and also those explanations. So this, you know, for those who are familiar with some of the past work that you guys have done and you produce like the, the color box graphs showing, you know, at certain volatility levels, how many funds you might expect for a given asset to be underwater. This is kind of like a simplification on that. So that way everyone has a bit easier of a number to like wrap their heads around um, and focus on opposed to those old graphs. Are we still going to be seeing those? Yeah, you're going to see heat maps sort of across the board in the dashboard, but also at the asset level for sure. Um, that's extremely important for the simulation, but trying to get one number to compare compare across you know risk tolerances and preferences, we found to be pretty important in user studies. Just saying like, what's the, what's the delta between what the protocol is at risk? Um, at the end of the day, we are trying to control for net insolvency risk. Um, while at the same time increasing yield and improving cash capital efficiency and all those things, um, at the end of the day, you know, compound uh, as long as it's not insolvent uh, should be uh, carrying on the way it has uh, so far. Great! I look forward to reading your guys's uh, long form post on 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 VAR. It should be an interesting read for everyone. As designed, Nick Gauntlet is is the the proposal states that Gauntlet is paid a service fee based on a, a few different factors including total borrow, TVL, number of assets, and a few others. At current prices, it amounts to somewhere between uh, 1.5 and, and $2 million a quarter. There's been some pushback on the forum saying that this is a large number and it just like it, it's bigger than, it's a bigger number, candidly, than, than, some of, than a, a lot of existing projects. Um, but at the same time, Compound is a, a multi-billion dollar project with a huge amount of resources. And the downside to poor risk management is so fundamental and large that it, you could easily make an argument that this is <clears throat> well worth it and, and perhaps even underpaying. So I guess my question is, how did you guys, how did Gauntlet come up with the payment structure? How do you guys think about it? There's a lot of moving parts and we tried to stay away from the qualitative aspects of risk management where maybe some institutional uh, credit funds or you know, more of the trad five facing people want to look at a protocol and say like, is there continuous risk management? So try not to come, you know, rope that into the price, but what, for the risk metrics we do touch on um, and especially now as we expand into reserve factor, uh, something that every protocol should consider is like how they're growing their reserves and revenue. Uh, Gauntlet tries to be quite conservative uh, as far as the price we charge, although I understand it is uh, probably the heftiest price tag, you know, most protocols will see for the foreseeable future um, to the impact we drive. Uh, like you said, you know, there's billions of dollars in these protocols and what liquidation losses look like um, could be devastating, uh, not just to like the existing borrower and you know user positions, but you know to the long-term risk and the growth of the protocol. Now, should this be adjusted over time? Um, 
possibly. Uh, we know Getty and, and other members of the community will hold our feet to the fire, um, you know, quarter over quarter to making sure it's clear what value we're driving and are we hitting those KPIs and target metrics we've outlined in the proposal. Uh, that's definitely going to be the case and something we look forward to. Uh, obviously challenging, but uh, I think something we're working on internally and ready to sprint hard for uh, should the proposal go through. Got it. And another factor of the of the service fee that you guys touched on is whether it should be fixed or calculated quarterly. Um, and I think one one aspect of that is, as designed, the the payment is tied to total and outstanding borrow. On the one hand, it's good that compound um, compounds growth is aligned with with Gauntlet's fee. So Gauntlet has skin in the game to see compounds succeed to see total borrow grow on the other some, on the other hand some some might argue that this could encourage more sort of risky behavior where even though gauntlet is not making these sort of subjective risk tolerance and preference levels that's something that the community should do but that might still affect sort of gauntlet's work does that make sense yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's a tricky balance, and some you know the reason we tried to get or or use total borrow borrow rather than TVL, which isn't really a metric that would make sense here. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's tough to you know keep ourselves more than an arm's length distance from you know the risk parameters we're going to suggest. Hopefully, we can pass that off to the community as much as possible and distill and, and clarify the model inputs and why this made sense. But at, on the margin, um, the difference between either all of these risk levels are unlikely to to change um, the total borrow that much, right? Um, at the, the the steady state is not uh, we're going to like double an LTV or something like that uh, or a collateral factor, I should say. So it's definitely a concern and something the community should you know think about um, you know, going forward. Hopefully this makes sense as far as the model, and you know we've tried to you know work on this with this is the same sort of model Ave got and other lending protocols like Banky and you know earlier starts. So when you I know this is something we we thought about touching on as well is like what does it look like a, a business going to a DAO with with a model and a and a service and this is sort of the tough part. How do you make sure you align incentives perfectly without uh, and making sure you know the the impact you're trying to drive is causal to the growth of the protocol without distorting that too much. Uh, never perfect, but hopefully we've got there um, or we're getting closer there. Totally. I think there's um, a lot of different models for how service providers and, and, and product creators for DAOs can be compensated, whether it's stable coins versus the underlying protocol token, whether it's delivered up front or vesting, um, upon certain KPIs, like I think that that's definitely an area where uh, there's different experiments going on, and I think we'll see a few different models emerge based off of the contributors' history and their existing exposure and, and sort of what the goal is for the future. And the comment we got, or a few comments we received, or why are we necessarily paid in comp? Um, rather than die or, or another stablecoin, and I think that's a reasonable question. You know, the broad stakeholders of the community should think about. Uh, I know Getty's uh, has a contributor grant paid in comp, and I wonder how you think about you know the downside risk of that Getty. Um, you know, given you know the crash in price today, or I'm not sure if that has changed or if the comp price is higher or lower than when you initially started your your stream there. But how you think about that more broadly? Yeah, I think. I think it's a bit different for me than it is for like a business like you guys that have to like turn a profit for your investors. Like I, I'm personally long, like for me, like a, a substantial amount of comp personally, uh, I view the contributor grant just a way to further my investment in the protocol rather than using dollars to buy more comp or something else, um, use my time to, to buy comp. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't really care too much if the price swings a lot on a rock. Maybe if the price went down like 99%, I'd be a bit freaked out. But um, the the type of volatility that I'm used to seeing at this point uh, from being in cryptos, it, it doesn't really change, uh, change how I interact with the protocol uh, in any way. Yeah, that's fair. And while we definitely have investors, probably you know our biggest concern is just 
broad tax liabilities and how we think about that when you know, we are technically paid in these tokens and uh, the tax man will come at the end of the year for you know the value realized there and sh should we experience you know dips in the prices um, while we're all bullish and anyone sort of in this forum commenting on this thread or, or listening to this podcast um, expects the price to go up long term uh, we unfortunately do have to pay taxes on the yearly um, you know previously we haven't sold any of our, our comp from our initial 1000 comp grant uh, for setting up uh, a few of the upgrades to the protocol and hopefully we won't have to do so for the foreseeable future but that's always something we have to take into consideration and probably other vendors in the future will as well. Is that like a, then a good reason to perhaps get paid you know, a fixed basis in a stable coin and perhaps a bonus of some kind at the end in comp and like a one-time payment if the, if the protocol feels like you guys have, have exceeded or some sort of thing there, something to make that, that process simpler. Cause I definitely appreciate the complicatedness of, of taxes with this having been you know, the only other one on the contributor grant right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, fixing the, the cost for the protocol surely makes sense, right? We're, we're not trying to ride the upside should the market just 10x, you know, in three months or something like that. We want to make sure, you know, we are doing what we think is important work for the protocol, but, you know, should the market just rip, um, there's there's no reason and that you know isn't necessarily tied to market risk or risk parameterization. You know, Gauntlet shouldn't just be you know writing the coattails of a lot of the work you and you know the compound protocol team and community have done previously. So that's definitely not you know something we're open to consideration for. The bonus aspect is a bit tricky, and we've sort of thought about this. It, it's risky to like over engineer how that might work, but open to conversations there. Yeah, that might be something interesting to consider for the next for the next quarter after this one likely passes and you guys assumingly do good work. So zooming out from this discussion about th this proposal around risk monitoring specifically and just to the overall process of creating products and services for a community, for a DAO, we're, we're seeing this sort of unique, specific process where you're not selling to a specific person at a company like you are in B2B sales. Um, we're seeing a distinct process emerge where you have to communicate with people publicly, share details and findings publicly over time. Nick, I'm, I'm curious, like Gauntlet's one of the first entities to sort of do this and, and create tailored processes and products for DAOs, how do you think about this process? What have you learned since you started? I talked to a lot of projects that eventually want to be DAOs, right? They're either pre-mainnet or just mainnet and the core teams broadly control either something like a multi-sig or just generally have access to the the contracts or admin capabilities uh, with the with the plan of decentralizing over time. And I try to early, you know, in initial conversations, try to find where they're on that spectrum and, and the timeline for when they end up something like Compound or, or Uniswap, uh, because that informs especially how, you know, Gauntlet will push risk parameter updates uh, um, and structure sort of our internal infrastructure to make that the case. So these conversations, you know, range um, with always the the caveat that we we plan to evolve with the protocols and you know plan for them for the most part uh going the way of compound and the uniswaps of the world getting to you know something where majority of decisions need to be made through a governance vote um will that change over time very likely will there be like probably some fast and slow pass for collateral factors and things like that uh, we think there's a case to be made for that these conversations you know start off broadly with like uh, large contributors and stakeholders and community members um, informally and then definitely formally um, in the public uh, out in the forum uh, and it's a it's a tough and scary place to do so given it, it is extremely uh, interesting to try to iterate on on a product that's still being built in a vertical or in a business model that's still being built while while we think you know, there's a lot of value to add. How that's communicated is probably the most important thing uh, to the various set of stakeholders, which some of which you don't actually know who they are, right? They could be pseudonymous um, and what their stake 
are they a borrower or a lender, just broad investor looking to flip the token, looking to capture token emissions short term? What does that look like um, is extremely important. But, uh, you know, we are very comfortable or starting to get more comfortable um, you know, pushing these proposals out and just understanding that you probably can't appease everyone. But, you know, as people have come start to come to, you know, the conversations and the threads and the proposals we put out uh, with candid, fair discussion points uh we're happy to answer them and sort of you know work with these projects um you know any any protocol or, or DAO we we push or, or publish a proposal out for we're obviously bullish on and we think there's value to add so uh an evolving process but um an exciting one for sure aside from risk though like getty or nick what are you guys interested in in terms of like what would you like to see treasuries fund what would you like to see other people working on um, there's things like marketing or treasury management or direct investing um, that are still mostly untapped. What are you guys excited about outside of outside of risk? I think the protocol's got to get it's got to get aggressive about finding talent and keeping the talent within the protocol, such that we have continuous development of features for the community to be utilizing. Um, like I. I've been a long time creator of the compound. So has R, so has been blocked. So has like a number of people have made a number of proposals to the protocol and like relatively speaking, like haven't received that much monetary con like, you know, compensation for the efforts that they put on. Um, and then let alone like the protocol never really capitalized on keeping people around uh, and making sure that they were long-term contributors to the protocol. All right. If you're if you're a company and you happen to have, you know, a great college intern come through like your summer intern program and you realize that this person's a massive value add, like you're gonna be competitive and make them a competitive offer to stay around. Um, in my mind, compound and protocols in general shouldn't act any differently. If there is a community member who is, you know, contributing in a meaningful fashion on a protocol that is like compound managing billions of dollars and providing significant value and significant revenue, um, it shouldn't be afraid to spend a, you know, way more than what market values or what people perceive to be um, valuable or value people's time um, and, and, and write those large checks and you know get in an awkward stage where it's like, all right, we're probably paying this person too much money, but if even for a second people think that we're not probably paying them too much money, then like you've done it wrong because this is crypto and the amount of people who can actually contribute to things, it's a we have a very small supply of people. So you're gonna have to pay more than what you think you should be paying, and it's gonna feel awkward. And protocols need to normalize this if they want to be the best protocol and beat out their competitors. I definitely agree with that. I think like right now it's really easy to create your own project, create your own token and, and sort of focus on that or be an investor in, in a few of these projects. I think that human capital is the scarcest thing for any protocol DAO and for the ones that have found product market fit like a Uniswap or a Compound or an Aave, it's important to, to scale these organizations vertically and to find and, and supplement the core team's work with outside independent teams and, and contributors. Um, you look at Ethereum, and for the first few years, there was really a, only a, a small set of people working on on, on core protocol development, as, as it probably should be. Like, that's probably how it, it, it needed to be in the early days. Um, now we're at a point where with ETH2, there's multiple, like, somewhere between five and 10 well-funded competitive teams all trying different solutions and products tailored towards ETH2. Do you guys think that's like a, a, a fair analogy for how some of these DeFi protocols might emerge in terms of just the number of, of individuals and, and funded teams that, that build on it? I'd say it's definitely a possibility. You're starting to see some of these treasuries be deployed for developer DAOs or these sub DAOs off the ecosystem reserves or, or the core treasuries to try to, you know, make the the, the development and just the broad infrastructure uh, pace uh, keep up with the pace of 
DeFi and the broader crypto landscape, um, which is, seems pretty important. So what's, I think we all know is like, it's, it's a market and, um, at the pace that it moves, um, I, I'd echo Get, Getty's point that they need, every protocol should probably be trying to move as quick as possible and experiment and fail fast as quick as possible, uh, for these cases. Like there is definitely some risk in, in making, you know, bureaucracy or, or, or governance, um, slow or, you know, to a stasis, but um, given the starting point right now, where you know even these large protocols are really not making that many upgrades or, or changes, to, despite all you know the development work being done behind the scenes by core team or or uh, various community members, um, the the speed should probably be much faster than it is today. Yeah, there's some like there's some uh, there's some big hurdle here in the fact that a lot of contributors on forums and in general, like governance forums aren't necessarily used to like financial institutions and trading firms and stuff that actually throw around like what trading firms and the financial institutions view to be like millions of dollars and whatnot. Like it's like, it's chum change for most of those, most of those institutions. Um, Whereas if you're a community member who's in college and never even had like a huge job or been at one of these firms or um, never really been in a, in, a, in a position in life to understand and experience that amount of capital moving around. Um, I think it can be a bit disassociating to people when they hear, oh, so-and-so is getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do like Dow governance or participate in risk models or Gauntlet's going to get paid, you know, X million dollars a year to provide risk things and these things can be at hard to quantitatively assess as to like the value that they're providing. But um, it's that it's that kind of like awkwardness or that like introduction to moving that amount of capital and allocating that amount of capital efficiently is something that like is a hurdle, I think, for most young people. It certainly was for me when I was younger and getting into trading, like just the thought of like, this is a pile of money versus like, these are just like points and you need to allocate these points efficiently. If we can get more people thinking about these are points and this is a competition, then I think it's a lot easier to grasp. And I hope community members come around to that, that like, this is a competition. We are like, sure, there are lots of money, but like assign a different value to the, the dollar numbers if you need to and like get over it and move on. Because if we don't, the those will be the protocols that will get left behind for the ones who do figure it out. Yeah, I think another interesting case study here is the YFI model. So with Urine Governance 2.0, they've basically set up a bunch of core team sub-DAOs and allocated and, and delegated a, a fair amount of responsibility to them. So I think that's something that could be a, a model and could, could give some lessons for other protocols like Compound in terms of how do you scale and start incentivizing and 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 paying um, independent contributors and, and and working groups to build and supplement the work that the core labs team is doing? Something that Vitalik highlighted recently was that governance or governments uh, tend to be either exclusionary or conformist, right? They either like stay not decentralized and these core teams control them completely or anything you see in the forum um, really turns into like a rubber stamp game and you know all proposals are passed fairly unanimously uh, hopefully that's not the case for for compound and any other protocols um, going forward and you know conversation is important and tough questions which we're happy to answer sort of here at gauntlet but like i, I know getty has previously as well um, is extremely important for like the advancing, you know, moving these large sums of money or thinking about big decisions that can be quite impactful uh, for the, these protocols and DAOs. Totally. I think a healthy level of disagreement as well as like a healthy level of proposals that and temp checks that don't end up passing is, is, is really important. If you have, if every temp check and proposal ends up hitting the thresholds and, and passing, that's probably a sign that you might have a, a a bit of a rubber stamp problem with your protocol's governance. But if there's active sort of pushback and participation by independent 
when you remember to think that's that's amazing like you look at the recent flip side uniswap controversy and about a month ago i think like it, it, it was pretty like regardless of of sort of the specifics of the proposal it was i think important for uniswap's governance process to develop its own sort of organic sort of feedback and and, and it was it was good to see that community members voiced sort of their opposition to certain parts of the proposal and were able to push back against it and and hopefully flipside will will be able to come back in the future with a improved project process that that people are comfortable with but i think that's definitely a, a very important consideration yeah and to that point and now you see doing analytics with a trying to kick off a proposal in the uniswap community as well so you know good or bad, you could, you can't, it's tough to say that this didn't start a conversation around like what community open source analytics should be for a protocol. Um, and that's a net positive. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for taking the time today to, to chat about it. Looking forward to, to, to seeing the result of the vote and yeah, revisiting Gauntlet's proposal in a, in a quarter or two. Absolutely. This this has been good. Uh, something we think about a lot. So happy to hopefully get a broader audience thinking about governance as well. Awesome. Thanks, guys.